You know, every parent wants to be a super dad or a super mom. And yet these Cape Crusaders don't exist. I hope you know. Though I wanted to be a super dad, a lot of the time I felt like a super dud. Being a parent is the most difficult task you'll ever tackle. I once, I once heard it said, you should have realized that anything that began with the term labor was not going to be easy. Parenting kids is certainly a challenge. Reminds me of the mom who came home from the hospital with triplets. Triplets now. Her four-year-old daughter took one look at the new siblings and she shouted. She said, we better start calling folks. They're going to be a lot harder to get rid of than the kittens. (laughs) Trust me, they're also a lot harder to raise than the kittens. Parenting is a tough gig. You thought a parent's job was to help the children grow up. But often it's the children who cause the parents to grow up. Sometimes we parents learn more from our kids than our kids learn from us. I brought with me this afternoon, everybody's kind of full of beef and unbelief at the moment, so I I brought with me a little little top ten list here that I thought would kind of shake off the afternoon blahs here and help us get going. Uh, Here's a top ten list, perhaps you can relate to it. Here are the top 10 things I learned from my kids that I didn't really want to know. Top 10 things I learned from my kids I didn't really want to know. Number 10, a four-year-old's voice is louder than 200 adults in a crowded restaurant. Number 9, when you throw a baseball into a spinning ceiling fan, the blades can hit the ball a long way and generate enough force to break a double-pane window. Number eight, when you hear the toilet flush and the words, "Uh uh-oh, it's already too late. (laughs) Number seven, Legos will pass through the digestive tract of a three-year-old human being. Number six, the words Play-Doh and microwave should never be used in the same sentence. Number five, MacGyver reruns can teach a child many things he doesn't really need to know. (laughs) Number four, sliced cheese melts in DVD players. (laughs) Number three, marbles or rocks in a gas tank will make lots of noise. Number two, the spin cycle on a washing machine does not make earthworms dizzy. It will, though, make a cat dizzy, and a dizzy cat will throw up twice its body weight. And last, but definitely not least, quiet does not necessarily mean everything is okay. (laughs) Did you hear about the three moms who were bragging to each other about their successful sons? The first mom boasted, she said, my son is a big city lawyer. For my birthday, he bought me a diamond ring. Well, the second mom, she said, you know, my son is a medical doctor, and last winter he paid for my vacation to the Bahamas. The third mom, not to be outdone, she chimed in. She said, well, my son is also so rich, he can afford to visit a fancy psychiatrist once a week. He pays $250 an hour, and that's not all. He spends the whole time talking about me. (laughs) I think the secret desire of most parents 
is to parent their children in such a way that they don't end up the subject of a future conversation with a psychiatrist. If you feel a little inadequate as a parent, here again, the Word of God and the Spirit of God comes to our rescue. For God doesn't call us to do what He doesn't equip us and empower us to do. It is His promise. You can parent your children effectively. God has given us a purpose. And then He's given us tools to accomplish that purpose. And He's told us as parents what to avoid. We've been talking about a PTA. A parent's purpose, a parent's tools, and now this afternoon, a parent's avoidances. In verses 1 through 4 here in Ephesians 6, Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The child's duty is a parent's purpose. We should teach our children obedience and respect. And we do it with two tools. A parent's tools are the training and admonition of the Lord, discipline and encouragement, the rod and the apple. But that's not all Paul tells us to do. He also gives us a parent's avoidances. And in verse 4, he tells both mothers and fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. The Greek word translated provoke here means to anger or to frustrate. Other versions render it, don't embitter or irritate or exasperate or nag or vex or goad or overcorrect or be hard on. The amplified version of the Bible puts it this way, Fathers, do not irritate or provoke your children to anger. Do not exasperate them to resentment. So you can bring up a child in the training and admonition of the Lord. You can give your child a rod and an apple, warm hugs and wooden spoons, the encouragement and discipline that we discussed earlier. But if you then turn around and needlessly frustrate your children, you can create in them a resentment that will undermine the good that you're doing. Even well-meaning parents can make little mistakes that will provoke their kids. To provoke a child is to needlessly irritate. And the key word there is needlessly. I once polled my oldest two kids, what do your mom and dad do that irritate you most? Well, here were their answers. You spank us. You make us go to the grocery store. You wake us, wake us up early for school. You don't give us Coca-Cola when we want it. You make us go to bed too early. But these are necessary irritations that one day they'll appreciate. My question to us is, how do we needlessly needle our children? How do we pointlessly pester them? How do we badger and beleaguer our kids? Well, kids are extremely impressionable. We need to handle them with care and sensitivity. When you approach your kids, make sure you're wearing kid gloves. This afternoon, I have a 12-point checklist that you can use to determine if you've been guilty of provoking your child to wrath. Here are 12 parental mistakes to make sure you avoid. The first way to provoke a child is with negative comments. 
negative comments. Comedian Joan Rivers used to open her routine with the joke, I knew I was an unwanted baby when I saw my bath toys were a toaster and a radio. It's sad, though, in real life, when parents communicate to their child, either overtly or indirectly, that they're not wanted. To God, there are no unwanted children. Every child is loved and desired by God. And yet it grieves me from time to time, I'll hear a parent refer to a child as an accident. There are no accidents in God's plan. If you view your child as unwanted or as an accident, even if you never say it, they'll pick up on it in your attitude. Psalm 127 verse 3 tells us, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. For me, a quiver full was four. Someone once asked me to describe my kids. I said, well, the oldest, he's the quarterback. He's kind of the leader of the team. The girl, she's the cheerleader. Next is the running back. And then they ask, well, well, what's number four? I replied, the end. <laughs> but each of my four kids is a heritage, a reward in their own way. They've given us great happiness. We have always seen our kids as a blessing, not a burden. A little league coach, a friend of mine, once told me about a mom who pulled his son, her son from the game to go home early. This kid was up to bat that inning, and if he left, it would cost the team an automatic out. Well, the coach tried to explain the situation to this anxious mom, and he asked her if Billy could please stay long enough to bat. But the mom, she walked off with her son, and right there in front of the bleachers, in front of all the parents and the players, she shouted, Ah, Billy's no good. He'll make it out anyway. We've got to go. And tragically, she said it without thinking. Some parents make negative comments without even thinking of their impact. Their mouth goes on a shooting spree. Adults forget that kids are fragile. They're breakable. You don't toss bone china around the kitchen like you would paper plates. And you don't handle kids as if they were adults. A child needs to be treated delicately and deliberately. Always handle your kids with kid gloves. I understand parents get tired. At times your weariness can taint your attitude. We're tempted to view our children as an interference or as a nuisance, or as a bother. You need to resist that temptation at all costs. Reminds me of the dad who brought his four-year-old daughter to the hospital to meet her newborn sister. The sister looked at the baby through the nursery window and noticed the identification bracelet around the baby's ankle. She turned to her daddy and she asked, when are they going to take her price tag off? If you're a parent, you're well aware of a baby's price tag. They are costly, and the financial expenses are just the beginning. Add the love and the time and the energy and the effort that we invest. A lot goes into raising a child. Babies are very expensive, but they have no price tags. A baby, a child, is priceless. No value can be ascribed to a human life. An eternal soul created for God's presence is sitting in your high chair, or maybe in your driver's seat. Your child is a blessing, and we need to always view them that way.
Well, the second way to provoke a child is with broken promises. A child hangs their hopes on a parent's words. Make an idle promise that you don't fulfill, and it may not be a big deal to you, but it can crush your child. This was hammered home to me one day when I promised my five-year-old son, Mac, that we would go to the ballpark and hit baseballs. But first, I needed to take care of a few issues up at the church. Well, as usual, those few issues turned into six, maybe seven hours. When I finally got home, my five-year-old was sitting on the porch with glove and bat in hand. And we had a wonderful time at the ballpark, just as I had promised. Later, though, Kathy told me that Mac had been sitting on that front porch all day long waiting on me. He had waited on me six hours. He had been fixated on that promise. See, to a child, a parent's words are power. Our children have total confidence in what we tell them. See, here's their rationale. Since my parents brought me into the world, nothing is beyond the scope of their ability to do. That's why a parent needs to be careful with his or her promises. Don't disillusion or disappoint your child. They don't understand extenuating circumstances. The trust between a parent and a child should be considered sacred. Don't let anything violate that trust. How can we expect our kids to receive the instruction that comes out of our mouth when they can't believe the promise that comes out of that same mouth? Be deliberate with what you promise and then be determined to follow through and always keep your promises to your child. Well, the third way to provoke a child is with deaf ears. How often do we fail to sit down and make the effort to listen to our children? Proverbs 20 verse 5 tells us, Counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. All kinds of thoughts and feelings and fears are swimming around in your child's mind. Parent, he or she needs you to stop barking at them long enough to listen to them. How attentive are you? When my oldest son, Zach, was three or four years old, he spent the night with his grandpa, and they were playing cowboys. Well, the toy guns were blazing. That's what happens at Grandpa's house. People were dropping like flies. Each time Zach got shot, he would fall to the ground. He'd hold his chest. His granddaddy would rush over, open up his shirt, cut him open, pull out the bullet, and sew him back up. Then they'd start playing again. Well, during the shootout, Grandma walked by. When Zach hit the deck, she decided to jump into the action. She opened up his shirt. She cut out the bullet. She sewed him back up. But rather than popping up to continue playing, Zach just laid there motionless on the floor. Finally, the little guy, he said with a groan, he said, But Grandma, there's only one problem. They shot me in the leg. <laughs> See, lots of parents approach their children with solutions without first listening and identifying with the problem. Yale University President James Engel explained his success. He said, grow antennae, not horns. Grow antennae, not horns. This is also great advice for parents. Often the behavior we would like to gore is actually a cry for help. That's why we need to be sensitive. and We need to listen to what our kids are really saying. Well, the fourth way to needlessly needle a child is to play favorites. 
If one child senses a parent's love for another sibling more than for him, it can produce a deep-seated resentment that may erupt in time as rebellion. The classic case of this was Joseph. Remember Jacob's favorite son? (coughs) Jacob gifted Joseph that psychedelic leather jacket. But his brothers were jealous of the special treatment. It was Jacob's fault. And yet they took it out on Joseph. Remember they feigned his death and they sold him as a slave. Joseph was the victim of his father's favoritism. I have three sons and one daughter. And for some reason my wife has always thought that I was tougher on my grimy, gritty, sweaty, gnarly, nappy, roughneck boys than I was on my sweet, precious, adorable, can-do-no-wrong princess. I don't see it. But to humor Kathy, I've always tried to guard against any fatherly favoritism. Seriously, you may have a child whose interest and personality cause you to be drawn to them, but work hard to make sure that you don't favor one child over another. Well, the fifth way to provoke a child is to force him or her to be something they're not. While coaching Little League, I've seen this way too often. A dogged dad trying to live out his failed aspirations through his son. It's really sad. Realize children don't enter this world a blank slate. Their genetic makeup predetermines a host of traits and talents and tendencies. Parents quickly recognize the influences of heredity when their child makes the honor roll. But we blame their environment when the same child has to stay after school for detention. Heredity is the reason two two children born into the same family, trained by the same parents, subject to the same rules, can turn out so differently. Children are like snowflakes. No two kids are exactly alike. Thus, no single parenting style works for all children. When it comes to kids, cookie-cutter approaches to parenting don't work. Proverbs 22, verse 6, is probably the most quoted verse in all the Bible on child-rearing. But I think it's also the misunderstood. Solomon says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, we often read that verse, and we emphasize the word way. Train up the child in the way he should go. As if there's a single best way to parent, and it's usually my way. But in the Hebrew language, the emphasis is on the word he. Train up a child in the way he should go. Commentator Matthew Henry offers this translation of chapter 22, verse 6. He says, train up a child according to his capabilities. In short, tailor your training to the individual child. Adapt your training to the child's interests and abilities and disposition and and limitations. A wise parent discovers the talents and interests that God has hardwired into your child's heart. Then he or she encourages that child in that direction. If your child is an artist, don't try to force them to be an athlete. If your child is a musician, don't try to make them a mechanic. Don't try to rewire your child. You might just blow a fuse. Well, the sixth way to provoke your child is to set impossible expectations. I'm convinced 
that particularly in today's world, we expect far too much from children at a far too early age. Did you know that today there are triathlons for seven-year-olds? Are you kidding me? There are summer camps that teach kids about stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Kids no longer have time to just be kids. At times, parents expect three-year-olds to have the same attention span as an older sibling. Or they'll demand a slower-developing son to bring home the same high grades as a studious sister. We're expecting too much. Children burdened with impossible expectations end up burning out and giving up, trying to please their parents. I believe Jesus' words to the legalistic Pharisees also apply to some pushy, pushy parents. Matthew 23 verse 4 says, For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. You do that to your children and you'll regret it. Maybe your child doesn't want to be a doctor. Maybe he wants to be a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter. Construction was good enough for God's son. Why not yours? Too much pushing hardens a child's heart. Well, the seventh way to frustrate your child is to have no or too low of expectations. Your expectations can be too high, but they also can be too low or even non-existent. You'll find a few kids are self-motivated, but most children need some form of external motivation. Most kids need a gentle nudge from time to time. When faced with obstacles, it's our human tendency to opt for the path of least resistance. Too often, kids especially are quick to settle for less than their best. See, children have to be taught that some obstacles shouldn't be bypassed. Some mountains need to be climbed. At times, a parent helps their child to keep at it. A parent needs to know when to prod on their kids. When Carol saw that her daughter's feet turned inward, that her toes pointed toward each other, she decided to do whatever it took to help her little girl. For four years, her daughter wore corrective shoes. By age six, she was walking normally, but Carol wasn't satisfied. She wanted her daughter to participate in an activity that would force her to use her feet and legs and stretch their range of motion. The little girl chose ice skating. And for the next 15 years, Carol carted her daughter to and from the rink. This is why when Christy Yamaguchi climbed to the platform to receive her gold medal in figure skating at the 1992 Winter Olympics, she knew that her success could be traced back to her mom, Carol Yamaguchi. Carol was the mom who had dreamed for her little girl. See, all kids have dreams, but they've yet to learn that dreams come true through hard work and through determination. And it's a parent's job to teach their sons and daughters the value of persistence and patience and preparation to keep the apple in front of your kid. Well, the eighth way to pester or hinder a child is to be overly critical. Sometimes a parent loses perspective. We can focus on that one C rather than the five A's. We see the cup half empty rather than half full. My first three kids were all scholars, but not Mac. My fourth kid, not Mac. Poor Mac. He always had a saying. He said, Dad, don't forget, C's make degrees. <laughs> and they do. 
But he has his own set of gifts and his own set of talents that need to be appreciated. Parents, do you see your kids as impossible to please? Or do your, I'm sorry, do your kids see you as impossible to please? If so, you're provoking them to wrath. Never forget, a child craves their parents' approval. They thirst for it emotionally. They need it like water. And if a child doesn't get it from their parents, guess what? They'll get it elsewhere from a boyfriend or from a peer group or, God forbid, from a gang. Kids need parents to be cheerleaders, not critics. Well, the ninth way to provoke your child to wrath is through neglect. Never forget, kids spell love. Kids spell love. You ready for this? Kids spell love. T-I-M-E. Child psychologist Kevin Lehman, he writes this. I hear parents talk about quality time. But in all my years of private practice, I have never heard a child mention the term. All a child knows is that he wants your time and attention, whether it's to watch him do somersaults and cartwheels or to take him for a Big Mac. Lehman concludes, In trying to find time for your children, don't worry too much about how much quality is in it. Give them all the time you can, and the quality will take care of itself. Parents, you'll have the rest of your life to pursue your career ambitions. You'll have the rest of your life to travel the world. But you only have a few short years to spend it with your kids. Dad and mom, whatever you do, whatever mistakes you make, don't neglect to spend time with your children. You provoke your kids if they never see you. I've observed that some parents act like their kid comes with a pause button. That they can push pause on their child's development while they go off and do their own thing. They're under the illusion that the opportunities will still be there when they get ready. Wow, are these parents in for a rude awakening. Parents, by the time your child is ready, or by the time you're ready, your child may no longer care. I love this quote by author Wade Horn. He writes, My father was a great dad. I didn't always think so, of course. When I was growing up, I mostly thought of him as an overbearing autocratic stick in the mud, whose main mission in life was to make mine miserable. But I have since come to realize he had one great quality. He was there. Someone once said, 90% of life is showing up. Well, my dad showed up. I'm personally convinced that a father with faults is still better than a father who's absent. Just being there, Dad, goes a long, long way. The fact that I was there that I was a part of my daughter's life, that I was there to answer the door when that boy came to pick up my daughter for a date, you know what? I'm sure now, looking back on it, that kept certain types of boys away. You know, if I was home, wild parties had a hard time breaking out. Do you realize that? Just by me being home. Certainly my kids were able to sneak off and do something behind my back, but that was the point. They had to sneak off. Because my wife and I were there. Just being there matters more than you think. While I'm on the subject of parental neglect, let me mention another form of neglect that I think is especially lethal, 
And that is the spiritual neglect of a child. I know parents who have their kids in sports and music and art. They're in all types of extracurricular activities, but they leave out church. Parents who neglect their children's spiritual training are making a crucial mistake. As long as my kids were living under my roof and out of my checkbook, they were at church on Sundays. There was never a question. You know, as a church, we work really hard. I'm sure your church does too to make Sunday school fun for our kids. That's why one reason that nothing bothers me more than to hear some parents say, my kids didn't want to come to church this morning, so I left them home. Are you kidding me? What if they said that about on Monday morning about their school attendance? Oh, they didn't want to go to school, so I left them home. You'd make them go because they need it. As a matter of fact, you'd require that they like it. And this is the attitude that we need to take toward our kids' spiritual training. They need their parents' insistence. With four kids, we did it all. Soccer, baseball, football, cheerleading, basketball, dance, baton, roller hockey, softball. Did I leave anything out, Kev? You name it, we did it. And we saw great value in our kids' participation to a point. But we also realized that you can invest thousands of hours sharpening your kids' batting skills or making sure he or she can dribble a soccer ball, or she can do a backhand spring, and yet when they reach adulthood, their athletic skills won't be nearly as important as the strength of their faith and their knowledge of God. It's crucial that with everything else that you do with your kids, that you bring them to church. Together, as a family, you need to grow in Christ and learn God's Word and apply it to your life. Make your child's spiritual training a priority for them and for you. Well, the tenth way to frustrate your kids is the failure to discipline. If you let your kids walk all over you or brush you off or ignore the rules, if you cave in to their manipulations and threats, you are provoking them. It's been said, kids will forgive you for your mistakes, but your weakness will send them elsewhere for strength. I'm going to say that again. Kids will forgive you for your mistakes, but your weakness will send them elsewhere for strength. I'll never forget the night I put the kids to bed. Little Nick was just three years old. I'd just gotten comfortable in the recliner when all of a sudden he comes parading back through the room. I said, son, what are you doing out of bed? He turns, he looks me, in the face with this defiant look, and he says, Dad, mind your own business. Oh, my. I proceeded to show that young man exactly what my business was. <laughs> it is a parent's business to discipline their kids. Children will respect their parents only if those parents calmly but firmly stand up to them. If you cave in to a child's demands because you're afraid of a fight or a little friction, you make a huge mistake. Though they might never admit it, kids desire a parent's discipline. Boundaries provide them a sense of security. 
When you say no, they realize that you care. Never forget the high priest Eli. 1 Samuel 3 verse 13 tells us that he was judged by God because, and I quote, his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. Perhaps he thought that if he came down too hard on them, he might lose them. Well, the very opposite was what, was what happened. Because he didn't restrain them, he lost them. Eli allowed his son's rebellion to go unchecked, and God judged him for it. Well, the 11th way to provoke a child to anger is to set a double standard. Kids have a sixth sense. I call it a baloney meter. They can detect hypocrisy and duplicity a mile away. And they get seriously turned off when a parent doesn't practice what he or she preaches. Parent, if you want credibility with your child, if you want their respect, then be worthy of their respect. See, you can tell a child to stay off drugs until you're blue in the face. But if you abuse alcohol, they'll want to know what's the difference. Don't ground your kid for cheating on a test if you've got a radar detector mounted on your dashboard. That's right. Don't set a double standard. If you want your kid to listen to what you have to say, nothing will impress them more than your own humility and sincerity and genuineness. Don't expect your kids to embrace values to which you only pay lip service. Here's a poem entitled A Better Way. It was written by Edgar Guest. But it could have been written by your own child. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show the way. The eyes a better pupil and the more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see the good in action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn how to do it if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I may misunderstand you in the good advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. If we want... To earn their respect, we need to act in respectable ways. And then finally, the twelfth way for a parent to provoke their child to anger is to be overprotective. See, the goal of parenthood is to work yourself out of a job. See, we expect a child to need us at seven years old, even at 17. But if your child is still dependent on you at 27, something went wrong. When my fourth child was born, I had the privilege to take the scissors and to cut the umbilical cord. I remember picking up those scissors and snipping the prenatal connection between that boy and his mother. And it was a profound moment. For in a sense, from that very moment, my son has been on his own. Oh yeah, his parents were and still are around to help. But he was unleashed that day to live his own life. It became our job to wean him away, to grow him up, to teach him to make his own decisions, to solve his own problems, to develop his own skills and thoughts and ambitions. And this is where a parent's faith kicks in. 
See, the overprotective parent who smothers a child and is afraid to let him brush up against the real world suffers from a lack of faith. Oh, I'm aware of the dangers and I know the risks. There are also risks of holding on for too long. At some point, you've got to turn loose. We always wanted our child, we always wanted to turn loose before they got out of the house so that if they failed, if they stumbled, they had a soft landing. A lot easier than when they've already moved on. In August 1988, my first son, Zach, enrolled in kindergarten. And on his first day of kindergarten, Kathy dressed him up, put a smile on her face, took him to school, handed him over to the teacher. And then she came home and cried for the next three hours until it was time to pick him up. It was the first of many steps in the process of letting go. It was a little over 26 years later, on December the 13th, 2014, that our last child, Mac, walked the aisle to receive his college diploma. And in between Zach's first day of school and Mac's last day of school, there were lots and lots and lots of letting go experiences. Actually, I don't like this phrase, letting go. It's not really accurate. Because we aren't letting go, we're turning over. We're turning over. For every time I've let go, I've had to trust God to be where I can't be. To do what I can no longer do. Proverbs 127 verse 1 is true for us all. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. That's why I say there are no super parents. The only super parent is God. And ultimately, we're trusting our children to Him. You know, we all should be like Hannah, who brought her son Samuel to the tabernacle and turned him over to the high priest. That's what God wants us to do with our kids. Turn them over. God desires of us a selfless act. We turn our children over to Him and we trust Him with their safety and their welfare. He gives us our kids We do all we can to teach them obedience and respect. Then we give them back to Him. Let me close with Psalm 127 verses 3 and 4. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. At the time of Psalm 127, at the time it was written, archery was a new invention in the science of weaponry. Prior to its utilization, soldiers fought hand-to-hand, face-to-face. But now with the introduction of a bow and an arrow, a soldier could strike a target at a distance without personally encountering and engaging the enemy. And this is a father's desire for his kids, to send them on ahead, to help them go where he can't travel and to accomplish more than his hands will ever touch. It's been said, every parent is a Moses. We're preparing our children for a world we will not enter ourselves. We see the promised land, but we won't enter it. Years ago, a dad at the ballpark asked me, he said, don't you hope your kids will turn out like you? I replied, I said, if my kids only turn out like me, I'll be severely disappointed. I'm praying they turn out far better than me. I want my kids to sell further and to go higher and straighter than their dad. I'm the archer. 
And it's up to me to set the arrow on the course that will strike the intended target. So let me state it one final time. A parent's purpose is to teach their children. Can you say it together? Obedience and respect. And they do it with two tools. With training or discipline. And with admonition or encouragement. All the while, they avoid provoking their children to wrath. And as I'm sure you know, God's power always accompanies God's purpose. Let's pray in closing for that power. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. And Lord, we do want to be good parents. We all want to be good parents, Lord. Lord, we want to teach our children obedience and respect. Lord, we want to employ the training and the admonition of the Lord. And Lord, we don't want to do anything that would needlessly aggravate our kids. Lord, I pray that in conclusion this afternoon, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. That you would give us hope, Lord. That you would fill our hearts with power and a fresh love, a new optimism, Lord, for our families. Lord, you have not left us in the dark. You have given us insight and instruction. Lord, I pray that we could take the things that we've learned and put them into practice, Lord, and make a difference in our families. Lord, I ask that you fill us with your spirit. Give us wisdom and understanding. Give us patience and love and long-suffering. And help us, Lord, to make our families the best that they can be. Lord, for those with little ones at home, I pray for their patience, Lord. Give them persistence and endurance. Give them strength and energy. Lord, I pray for those uh, parents who are dealing with kids on the other end of the pendulum who are leaving home. Lord, I pray you'll give them wisdom and understanding. Help them to understand, Lord, how the relationship's going to change in the next few years and the steps that they need to take to help launch their kids. Lord, at, for all, at all stages, we pray for wisdom. Lord, we know that uh, there is no cookie-cutter approach. So, Lord, teach us what's best for our kids. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you've done in our hearts and in our lives. And Lord, we want to give, you, give back to you the kids that you've given to us. Take them. Use their lives, Lord. We pray it and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.